Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? Welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, you can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. We also keep you bang up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 847. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, we're in the week in the run-up to Christmas. First thing I want to ask you about uh, is our updates and our daily updates on all things tech. There's not a lot happens at Christmas. Are you going to take some time off and maybe not do as many uh, emails and stuff with the website? Yeah, I think uh, I'm aiming for inbox zero before I, I finish up for the holidays. I know it's a very mm-hmm. lofty goal, but I know... Well, that's very nice. That's very nice, Niall, that you're aiming for inbox. I, I don't care about your inbox. I'm talking about my inbox and emails from you with all the tech news. Okay, well, don't worry about that then. <laughs> I, I, I will be lounging uh, while shivering, probably. <laughs> all right, well, we'll be back to normal service in, in early January. Yeah. Mm. Grant, listen, an amazing interview uh, because it's all to do with uh, uh, space studies and all kinds of things uh, for you coming a little later on in the show. But firstly, a couple of bits and pieces of news. And the first one, I love it. Niall emailed me and said, this is what we're going to talk about this week. This is what's in the news. The end of the fablet. Oh, my God. Talk about getting my attention. What on earth is this story? Yeah, well, uh, apparently um, the, the rumour mill has been going, but... Uh, Samsung, the, uh, I guess, standard bearer when it comes to all things phablet, uh, looks like they have no further plans for any phablet products. So the the era of the Galaxy Note is coming to an end. Um, I don't know, your your thoughts on this, Dusty? I mean, the, the Note 20 Ultra is well, probably going to is probably going to be the last of them. Uh, you've you've been a Note guy over the years. I have. And as I said before, the Note, once upon a time, was a brilliant phone because it was the biggest phone. It was the most powerful phone. It was the phone with the biggest screen, okay? Uh, all of the other smartphones have kind of caught up with it. And, and the largest S20, the S20 Ultra or something like that, is pretty much the Note, but without the stylus. Yes, I think that's the only difference. Maybe there's a slightly faster processor in the in in the Note 20, but there's no it doesn't stand out anymore. So it makes sense to me that Samsung are just not going to bother doing the Note. My guess is what they do is they'll sell the pen as an accessory or make the pen work with just regular S20s or 21s, whatever it's going to be next year, um, or or actually build it into one of their their larger S20 phones. Yeah, I think that's that that would be a reasonable decision. All right, because uh, as we've learned from uh, the latest generation of Microsoft Surface, uh, the Surface Book is that not only is the the stylus not dead, there's an awful lot of life in it as a yeah. as a peripheral that I think, you know, it as we look to move um, the likes of the Surface Book into and and indeed the um, uh, iPad Pro the way we're looking to add that sort of drawing 
uh, functionality into it to make handwriting cool again, if you if mm. you wish, um, that we are going to see better and better styluses. Whereas before, I found them to be quite rudimentary, quite you know just rubber tipped, point and click. Isn't it fantastic that you can that you can do this? Uh, I know no, the, the Samsung was way more than that. You could just wave it above the screen and all kinds of things. So, so there was some electronics in it. Okay, right. I'll I'll grant you that. But I think the stylus in general has been a fairly unloved peripheral uh, up until now. Uh, I think it was there because it did, you know, a, a certain number of functions for business users. I don't think it really caught up in the consumer space because they're just why why would you have one? You know, the, it, it it seemed to be solution in, ter- in search of a problem. Of course, now we're at the stage where I guess over time the, the stylus has really found its found its niche. Um, and it's, it's, I think it, it's a, a desirable product in and of itself. And I think people will be looking for stylus compatibility an, an awful lot more than they would have in the past. Do you know where the stylus will be brilliant for Samsung? Go on. On their fold. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think about it, the one thing that I always found with the stylus on the Note was, I mean, the Note was a big phone, all right? Mm. But even using the stylus was kind of a little bit, whatever, natty. But now if you think about that same size screen, but then you fold it out to give you that much bigger tablet kind of looking thing and using a pen with that, Mm. now you're into a whole other different uh, uh, level of usability. And you're right in that maybe it's a, I wouldn't say that it's a problem looking for or a solution looking for a problem. I'd say niche is actually the word I think that you identified there. There are uses where that is absolutely fantastic and particularly in business. And I think when you're going for the fold, uh, a phone like that is definitely going to be used by business people and having the stylus to go with it. I, I, my suspicion is that's the direction that Samsung are going. Yeah, I think multi-screen and dual screen is is a, a perfect example of where a stylus can fit really well. Because well, mm. what was Microsoft's um, dual screen device that it brought out a couple of weeks ago? Was it the, it was the Duo, Surface, was wasn't it? it? Uh, Surface Duo, yeah. Surface Duo, yeah. Uh, that's There's of, another great one that would do with a, a, a stylus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a great example of a device that would really benefit from it. And it's, it's a shame that we're not going to get the Surface Neo because I, I think that would have been a great shop window for for that use case um, that's been mm. put off indefinitely now, which is which is really disappointing, uh, having tweaked our interest, what, a year, mm. a year ago at this stage. Uh, well, listen, we're going through lots of innovation yeah. and long may it last and we will see fantastic things that never make the, uh, the light of day, but that's the uh, nature of things. Speaking of Microsoft, uh, I have a little bit of news for you. Okay. Uh, is that Microsoft have now made the uh, the Office package uh, native for the M1 processor with Apple. Yeah, now this was coming down the road. Uh, this was announced, I think, when when mm. the M1, uh, well, uh, a couple of weeks ago when the first generation M1 uh, MacBooks uh, were announced and the, the MacBook Pro. So mm. not a surprise, but looking forward to seeing how the performance differs uh, on Apple Silicon compared to Intel processors. Well, a, a lot of people have been running tests with uh, Excel already. Yeah. All right. Uh, and going through Rosetta 2. All right. And, and and they're doing tests with, I mean, I use Excel, but I mean, these people are saying, I've got a million records. <laughs> and I'm telling Excel that it needs to replace this piece of data in all million. And uh, I tried it on the Mac M1 and it did it in 29 seconds. <laughs> right. Okay. Or, 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 or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, uh, big heavy users like that will, will certainly appreciate it. But now that Microsoft have written it uh, native for M1, it, it should work even faster. 
That's that's but, the, that's the big thing. It should. It should do. So we wait and see as as this. But anyway, they've done it and it's out there in, in, in the world and it's good that it's working as it's meant to with that particular OS. But I'm kind of a little bit miffed. Okay. Because Microsoft now have made their Office products work perfectly, all right, with M1, allegedly. Um, but their operating system won't, all right? Because Windows just does not play well with uh, ARM processors. Uh, no, and it never has done. Uh, no, it never has done. So if they can get, I, I would love. It's just now. I am. I am niche. All right. Mm. I am the man who's got the uh, the stylus for the for the Samsung phone. All right. Sure. I'm one of those. You're that guy. Um, I and I know. Actually, I'm not the only one. <laughs> there is at least one other I know of uh, who's got Mac hardware and runs the Windows operating system on it. Mm. And the reason I like it is because when I'm traveling, it means that I can use the Mac OS for all of my production stuff and I can use all the Windows uh, OS for all of my internet, my office and productivity. And da, 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 da. Yeah. All right. Um, and that's the way I like to work. And I'm able to flip between the two on my MacBook Air when I'm traveling and I love it. All right. Mm. Can't do that with the new M1 processor. Um, but Microsoft now are able to make their Office package sit in perfectly with uh, M1 but not the actual OS. If they could put boot camp on the M1, I'll tell you, I would be queuing up today. I wouldn't even wait for the second iteration to come out. I'd go out and buy one today. Oh, you never know. Maybe parallels will catch up. Mm, people have run it. People have run it, but it is one of these. I, I don't want to get into the parallels situation. No, I want to be able to choose which OS I run when I boot up the machine. Anyway, that's an aside. The main story was that uh, Microsoft... Uh, is running Microsoft Office apps are running natively on the M1. But I just said iteration number one, iteration number two, which leads me on to our last story for today. I hate to call you Ebenezer Scrooge, but you do sound like this when you say that we should hold off on buying games the same way we hold off on buying tech. Oh, Explain yeah. yourself, it's, Mr. Kitson. Okay, right. Here we go. Uh Everybody, uh, you might remember me waffling on about Cyberpunk 2077 for, oh God, a good ever. while ago forever since I saw the trailer uh, whatever it was three years ago or whatever um, unfortunately it seems to have gone to market in a less than complete condition especially if you are using uh, an Xbox One or a Playstation 4 uh, if you're using a high-end gaming PC you're fine if you're using a next generation console you're fine however if you're on a, a previous generation console and I say previous generation in that it's out of date by a couple of months you're you're in trouble. Um, apparently, it has the uh, PS4 and the Xbox One have not been able to keep up with the uh, technical demands of Cyberpunk 2077, which is terrible news. Uh, and it reflects really badly on the developer CD Projekt Red, um, who initially said that their process would not rely on a practice called crunching, which is basically getting people into work ridiculous overtime. Uh, to get the product out because the release date on this thing has been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Um, and it has finally come out and guess what? It's not in a perfect, it's not in a fantastic state. Now, of course, this means that we're going to see patches and patches and patches released. So this game might not be fully playable if you're on, you know, what, what we're calling last generation consoles now until January, February, middle of next year, we, we just don't know. And it echoes a problem that happened with uh, not only CD Projekt Red's previous big uh, uh, series, Witcher, um, but also in uh, another studio's game called No Man's Sky. 
And the idea was that it was meant to be this infinite generative universe where you can fly around in the spaceship. Uh, however, again, it was released to market in a very buggy state. A, uh, a patch was released a couple of months later that actually gave you the game you should have got. But by then, you know, the initial hype is gone. It's kind of died down and you, you download this patch and you're like, okay, well, that's the game I should have got months ago, but I've moved on. You know, there's another shiny thing out there to, uh, to be looked at. So it's, it's kind of entering this stage where you don't, you shouldn't buy a game on day one, despite all the hype, because all the bugs haven't yet been squashed out of it. So you kind of have to see how much work there is to be done mm. on it before you should actually go make a purchase. So for anyone that hasn't bought 2077 yet for Christmas uh, and has a, a previous generation console, be wary. There is a significant patch coming down uh, in the coming months. So you would apply this advice to games. Uh, we apply that advice to Bones. buying tech or software. Yeah. And uh, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, my father tried to apply that advice uh, to me when I was getting married. Oh, 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 Dusty. Oh, we married very we married very young. He said, for God's sake, wait. <laughs> he didn't actually say version two, all right. <laughs> there we go. Listen, that's the news for this week. Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. This week sees the announcement about the opening of C-Space, the UCD Centre for Space Research. And we'll be looking forward to seeing how they progress with their main project of getting Ireland's first satellite into orbit. Of course, this isn't the only big research project being worked on today. Tom Ray is a senior professor and co-principal investigator at the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies. He's been working on Ariel, a space telescope built to study the atmospheres of distant exoplanets. He talked to Niall Kitson about the project. Tom, when we're looking at Ireland's contribution to space exploration, it's it's slightly under the radar, but there's an awful lot going on in terms of research and, and the space economy. Um, so tell us a little bit about Ariel, your involvement uh, in the project, where it has come from, and uh, ultimately what the uh, what the goal of it is. Yes, so I'm uh, part of the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies, and we've been involved with space missions for many, many years, going all the way back to the Apollo era and exploration of the moon. So uh, a lot of people don't know about that, I suppose. Is that okay in terms of levels? Yeah, yeah, that's perfect for levels. Uh, If you'd like to go back and use that answer again, that's perfect. Okay, so we'll start again. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, yes, so um, I'm in the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies, and we've been involved with space exploration for many, many years, going all the way back to the Apollo program and exploration of the moon. So um, Ireland is a, a founding member of the European Space Agency. It goes back many, many years. And so Ireland has been involved in many different missions. Um, so Ariel um, is, is a very exciting mission. Well, the intention is to actually look at the atmospheres of planets around other stars. I mean, about... 20 years ago or so, if you asked me about uh, other planetary systems, I'd have to say, well, we think they're out there, but we're not sure. 
the only one we really knew about at that time was the solar system, our own planetary system. Uh, but since then, now uh, we've uh, uh, proven that there's thousands of um, exoplanet systems out there. Some of them are a bit like our own solar system. Others are very, very different. Um, so to give you an idea, if you go out and look up at the night sky, roughly half of the stars that you see have planetary systems around them, which is uh, sort of an amazing number. So uh, when you consider our own Milky Way, our own galaxy has 100,000 million stars, we're talking about at least that number of planets, if not more than that again. So uh, obviously we wanted to try and understand how these uh, planets were made and also what their atmospheres are like. I mean, is there water on uh, some of these other planets? So the idea behind Ariel is in fact that um, planets go in front of their star. And so if we look at it um, from the Earth, it's a bit like... Um, well, for example, the planet Venus in the solar system crosses in front of the sun. That's called a, a transit, and that happens also with the planet Mercury. So we're actually looking at transits of um, exoplanets across their star. And when that happens, when they go in front of the star itself, you can actually see um, the what we call the spectral signature is essentially the thumbprints of different molecules and atoms that are present in the atmosphere. And so we need to study those to see what the composition of um, uh, the actual exoplanets, uh, what that composition is. So uh, in terms of hardware, what does Ariel actually look like? Are we, uh, are we in the stage where it's a, another very large, very powerful telescope? It's, uh, well, it's a sizable telescope. It's just over uh, one metre in diameter. That's the, the mirror on it. I mean, compared to other missions that we're involved with, for example, I'm also involved with the James Webb Space Telescope, which was due for launch next year. And that's the biggest telescope that's ever gone into space. It's 6.5 metre so meters across in terms of the mirror diameter. So Ariel is, is much smaller than that. However, Ariel is specifically designed to look at exoplanets. That's what's important. It's uh, the instruments on board uh, will use the light from the star in a kind of optimum way to, to study the atmosphere. So it's, it's, it's a kind of, uh, I suppose, in terms of ground-based equivalent, the ground is, uh, uh, you know, it would be small. However, we need to put um, telescopes in space simply because, well, I mean, if you look at the, the stars at night, you'll see them twinkling away. And that might seem very romantic, but uh, from an astronomer's point of view, that's, it's a nuisance because um, it's actually caused by the boiling of our atmosphere, and it makes things very fuzzy, uh, very difficult to to image properly. So that's why we actually actually put telescopes in space above the atmosphere, where we can get sort of pinpoints of light. So when we're looking beyond to have a look at uh, exoplanets, what sort of composition uh, would be particularly um, uh, I don't want to say common, but what, what are you expecting to see? 
Well, um, you know, obviously we can study the planets in our own um, in our own solar system, and uh, we find kind of mixtures of exotic uh, molecules like methane, hydrogen cyanide, um, and also in some cases evidence for water as well. But what we want to see is whether this sort of composition is common throughout the uh, throughout the Milky Way, essentially. Um, uh, for example, if we find lots of signatures of water in the atmospheres of this planet, then that bodes well for there might be some sort of uh, primitive life. Uh, so that's the sort of thing we're trying to we're trying to look for, and it also tells us about. Um, how our own solar system formed, because um, you know, I mean, our solar system formed five thousand million years ago. We cannot sort of turn the clock back and see exactly what happens, but what we can do is look at new stars that are forming and they're um, very, very young planets, because that's an ongoing process. Roughly one new star and one new planetary system forms per year in the Milky Way, for example. Now, it takes much longer than a year, but that's the sort of, if you like, the average rate. So we want to see uh, what, they're, what they are like, and that tells us um, how our own solar system would have formed as well. Now, Ariel uh, is going to be launched in 2029, which seems like a, a very, um, uh, how would you say, demoralizing timeline from the perspective of somebody that is just finding out uh, about the project. So how, uh, how long a timeline do projects like this generally take? Oh, well, um, yes. Uh, so the James Webb Space Telescope has taken over well over 25 years to come to fruition. I mean, there are various stages involved. And, um, you know, the smaller, somewhat smaller missions like Ariel would, would perhaps, you know, be doable in about 10 or 12 years or so. But it does take an awful long time to assemble the spacecraft, test all the components. For example, uh, we are involved with the optics for um, for aerial, and we are using new types of uh, materials and uh, to to act as filters and what we call beam splitters that break up the light. So those have to be tested. We have to be a hundred percent sure that they will work in space. They have to be tested. We have a we have a lab in the in in Dublin where we can actually cool the materials down to four degrees above absolute zero. That's, in other words, minus 270 degrees Celsius, because it's a very harsh environment in space, and we've got to make sure all of that, uh, all of those materials work and work in combination with one another. So that's all, you know, a bit of a, a, bit of a technical challenge, to put it mildly. 
So we've looked at sort of the, the nature of the project and you, you sort of alluded to Ireland's involvement in uh, in space exploration going all the way back to the Apollo program. So given that we're working with ESA at the moment, um, how do these projects work at a logistical level? One imagines that ESA isn't uh, working in its own bubble, NASA in its own bubble, etc., no, not at all, no. So with the bigger projects, I mean, it's a bit like ground-based telescopes. I mean, Ireland is also um, a signatory to the European Southern Observatory, which is actually currently building the largest telescope um, in the world. It'll be 39 metres across. I mean, the, the dome alone is like a big cathedral, and that's actually will be out in, uh, it's been built in Chile, up in the Andes. So, when you have very big projects like that, it involves more than one country, simply because the costs escalate. But also, you need to share expertise because certain countries can be very good at certain, say, electronics or optics or whatever, and you need to bring all those different groups together. So for money reasons, but also for expertise reasons, uh, you need to uh, collaborate. And s- Likewise, with uh, with the European Space Agency and uh, NASA, for example, and, and other agencies like the Canadian Space Agency. So you have, um, for example, with the James Webb Space Telescope, that is a collaboration of NASA, the European Space Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency. For example, when it is launched, when the James Webb is launched next year from uh, French Guiana, It'll be launched on an Ariane rocket, which is a European uh, rocket. But the, the the telescope itself is largely uh, US. But the instruments, uh, like the one I'm involved with, is uh, largely European. So it it there's quite a mixture. We've heard uh, in recent years about the space economy and increased uh, private sector interest in space exploration. When you're talking about that sort of um, need for additional expertise, are you seeing greater interest from the private sector uh, sort of in your sort of particular research field that companies are coming to the likes of ESA and going, do you know what, we, we have a solution here that's working in industry for a certain problem. Maybe there are applications uh, in space as well. Oh, yeah. We're, I mean, we definitely find that because what actually happens is that um, the European Space Agency or NASA would um, subcontract, first of all, a lot of its work to uh, to industries within the member states. So, I mean, that was one of the uh, main reasons why many, many years back we joined the European Space Agency and also why we're part of organizations like the European Southern Observatory, because they are kind of technology drivers and um, it's, I suppose, put it in, put it very bluntly. I mean, if if you are in the US and you are a company and you have a product or you're able to develop something which uh, the NASA wants or the European Space Agency wants in the case of Europe, then that's a sort of a real mark of quality because you know, as I, I mentioned, for example, the some of the uh, 
materials that we have have to survive extremely harsh environments or the very, very high precision engineering goes into it. And so um, it really makes a difference to that company. There's a kind of multiplier factor, in fact, even in, in the case of Ireland, it's been estimated that a company that gets a European Space Agency contract will end up getting, as a result of that, something like seven or eight more contracts as a result. I mean, you can imagine if you are uh, doing something, shall we say, more Earth-based, but you know that company works with NASA, works with the European Space Agency, then you know it's a kind of uh, guarantee that they, they, they can do the job. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Tom Ray, a senior professor and co-principal investigator at the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies. That's it for our show for this week. Uh, Do remember you can get all the lowdown on everything tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Um, We're going to take a little light on our uh, daily updates from the uh, website but throughout the Christmas period we will have a special tech shows for you uh, every week. Next week we're going to be looking at our favourite stories of 2020 uh, luxury gadgets in and around the new year and then early in the new year as well we'll be looking forward to 2021 so podcasts as usual every Friday including next week, Christmas Day uh, whatever you're up to, whoever you're doing it with and wherever you're doing it with, uh, I hope you have a very safe and a happy Christmas from all of us at Tech Radio. Take care talk to you soon Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.